0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hit the Apex. We're in the middle of a double header again. Uh, Formula One last week, Formula One this week. But then, of course, we've got the mid-season break coming up. So, big couple of races to talk about today. We've got the review of the German Grand Prix from last week, what a race it was, what an outcome, which we'll detail and talk about at length. And then, of course, we'll preview the Hungarian Grand Prix at the end as well. So, And also, big news as well, coming yesterday in regards to the health of Sergio Marchioni. He sadly passed away, um, succumbing to complications from a, surgery, a shoulder surgery that he had, uh, an embolism, and unfortunately, yeah, he was una- unable to recover from that. So, yeah, thoughts with Ferrari and, of course, his family for that, but we'll talk a bit about Marchioni In length, a bit later, but yeah, Baden, that's um, the somber news that we start on. Unfortunately, it's big news that's rocked uh, the entire Formula One world, if not the automotive industry.
1: Absolutely, good afternoon to everybody, and it's probably cast a pall over the ever since that news filtered through midway through the last weekend of Germany, and now that um, sad conclusion that he has indeed passed away, it's going to mean a bit of poignancy heading to this Hungarian Grand Prix, the final race before the break, and certainly the incentive if it wasn't already there after what happened with Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, what we thought was going to be a a huge breakthrough of Germany, they're going to be absolutely wanting to honour the great man.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we'll talk about Marchionne a bit later anyway and about some of his um, achievements and impact that he had on Formula 1 in his short tenure. But let's talk about the German Grand Prix first. And in the end, you could say it was a championship-defining race because Lewis Hamilton... Yes, I'm saying it. Lewis Hamilton won from P14 on the grid. Um, the pole sitter Sebastian Vettel was dominant until the little bit of rain struck later in the race, and he crashed on lap 52 at the Sachs curve. Just a um, brief moment of, uh, I guess, lapse in concentration and error. Maybe it was like an Anton Center at Monaco, 1988, um, yeah, he was leading the race, he had it all sewed up, but just then into the wall, and there goes his championship lead, there goes Ferrari's championship lead in the constructors, and yeah, Lewis Hamilton gifted this win.
1: Love conquers all, or so you'd believe, according to the man himself, and as though he wasn't already cheesy enough, that one was just the Really, the, the, I guess the straw that broke the camel's back for those who, um, again, you, you admire him as a driver, but his personality leaves so much to be desired and really rubbed salt into the, the wounds when we thought it was going to be a really emphatic statement by Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. You could argue it was a similar kind of low-impact crash to even Hamilton at China in 2007, just the, the wet weather, and it doesn't take more than a, a moment of a lapse in concentration and so damaging, those implications, and Mercedes uh, pulled it off to maximum effect. Who would have thought, that, let alone having one Mercedes on the podium, for them to end up one, two, really did hurt, and with that backdrop of what was going on at board level.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, of course, we had the news coming into the the race, as we sort of just predicted last week in our podcast, that uh, we expect Mercedes to announce that Hamilton and Bottas would be renewed for 2019 and beyond. And that was the case. Hamilton on a multi-year deal to see him at the end of 2020 and for Bottas, he's got next year, but the option for 2020 as well on his contract, so great result for Mercedes in the end there, and we'll go back to qualifying is where it all started for Lewis Hamilton, so apparently his whole body language and demeanor the whole weekend was just not right, and then qualifying in Q2, he found himself out with uh, hydraulic, I think, damage he got um, by running over one of the kerbs, and yeah, that was pretty somber if you're a Hamilton fan, and also for Mercedes, and we thought it was Ferrari's race from there to be sewn up, but anyway, he started the race on the soft tyres, he made the switch on lap 43 for ultrasofts, and basically he was in the right place at the right time when um, the safety car came out for... Uh, the damage that Sebastian Vettel had caused and Kimi Raikkonen he was in a good position too but he pitted for a second time under the safety car as well we saw him with him earlier there were some team orders at play for Vettel to get through a bit vague you could say if uh you're in Kimi Raikkonen's boots because he wasn't too happy about the way that it was communicated by Jock Clear, just being a bit too vague, suggesting that, oh, I suggest that you're on another strategy or something like that. And Kimi's like, can't you just be a bit more clear? As Kimi says all the time, is a no BS approach.
1: Yeah, he's pretty much asking him to to spell it out to him. And you could see it from a, a mile away as soon as Raikkonen emerged ahead of Vettel after that really early stop for the Finn, that uh, something was going to be at hand sooner than later. And probably Ferrari were clumsy. The way that they um, they held off on, on being explicit about it and, and looking back in hindsight, it, it arguably cost Raikkonen the victory with that time just messing around. And, and when it came down to it, uh, yeah, Raikkonen basically saying, oh, you want me to move aside, don't you? Just give me the word. And, and by the time it happened, I guess Mercedes and even Hamilton had had really um, eaten away that security blanket. And, and maybe that arguably had a, an impact in Vettel's ultimate crash. You're just feeling that pressure that, probably shouldn't have been there
0: yeah exactly letting Hamilton and Mercedes get back right up there and of course Hamilton was thinking about or he was told to come in for that second stop and then ultimately he chose to stay out he was it was either in or out in or out and then ultimately he just cut across the grass to, to stay on the track and um, that was investigated post race to no effect because it was just a reprimand in the end for Hamilton because um, it was Lewis Hamilton well perhaps yes it was a lot of people after it took to social media and looked at Kimi Raikkonen had a similar incident happen a few years ago where he was then given a post-race penalty but you know no such it was not the case for the race winner this time with the stewards citing the fact that it was under the safety car that it was not as dangerous as it would have been if it was a green flag's conditions even though it
1: was raining and could have come out and collected someone so yeah
0: exactly so that's another way to look at it but yeah in the end Hamilton gets the 25 points Valtteri Bottas when he made his second stop he was pretty strong but uh, there was team orders from Mercedes too so um, he was trying to push he almost had him on the safety car restart but yeah Mercedes then just told him to to dial the engine down and um bring the cars home, so yeah, Bottas on those fresher tyres could have easily had his first win of the season, but it wasn't to be, so yeah, hard to not have a bit of a bitter taste about that, considering, you know, with the Ferrari incident, it was because, uh, you know, one guy was on the fresher tyres or whatever, was to get ahead, and now the same thing with Mercedes, but in reverse, so yeah, Bottas on the fresher tyres should have been able to win that race, but yeah, he wasn't allowed to in the end.
1: Multiple stings in the, the tail, you could say. As soon as uh, Vettel had his demise, and and for Bottas it once more ahead of uh, Hamilton, and looking quite racy as though he could have made it work without that rain intervening. And and out of nowhere, Hamilton just finds himself um, the golden egg as he did at uh, Azerbaijan, and you do have to wonder between both fins there he and. And if these kind of opportunities where their teammates are in an adverse position and they they still end up uh, on the uh, the minor steps of the podium, um, again, we ask every week, oh, we think it's a matter of... Uh, when, not if, that they'll have a, a victory, but these are the ones that make you very sceptical that um, these teams are going to do whatever they can to make sure that they're very much in the supporting roles.
0: Well, at least for Bottas, he's already signed on for another year with Mercedes, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities yet, but um, that's the top three for you. Then Max Verstappen, fourth, of course, as a sole Red Bull finisher. Dan Ricciardo, his day destroyed by the new power unit, and I'll repeat the word new, because there was a lot of, uh, what do you call it, hype around this before the weekend, because he had to take those grid penalties and start from the rear of the grid, because they brought the new power unit into the the pool, but yeah, that new power unit decides to expire on him uh, on lap 30, and halted what was a good comeback from him as well, along with Hamilton, but yeah, unfortunately for Dan, it just... You know, he's won two races this season, yet, you know, he's so far behind in the championship, he's not even in contention, you could say, anymore, unless he goes on an incredible run with Red Bull in the back half of the season. The wheels have
1: fallen off slightly for him since that um, metaphoric drive at Monaco, and it probably ties into that narrative with uh, Verstappen probably maturing a fair bit in that time that he's going to be the leading light as Ricardo can't capitalise, so you do hope that he can... He can emulate some of those performances he's had in the past at Hungary and, and just remind everybody he's still there. And I guess as far as these issues are concerned with Renault and what happened also with Verstappen at um, Great Britain, the, they'll probably be thinking we've made the right call here to make that move to Honda. If if nothing else, it can't be a lot worse as much as they've got the pace outright and, and Verstappen showing Red Bull a lot more competitive than in previous visits to Hockenheim, they're, they're making steps in that right direction, but they're probably just hoping to start that relationship with Honda sooner than later.
0: Yeah, well, still uh, half a season to go anyway before that happens. So that was Red Bull's day, bit bittersweet in the end and a lonely fourth for Max. But um, let's go back to the rest of the race. And of course, the rain caused havoc at the front. But um, yeah, it really didn't rain hard enough to make an impact on, you know, the, what do you call it, changing over to the tyres, changing over to intermediate or wet tyres, and of course under the safety car we saw several drivers scramble to get those intermediate tyres on to no real effect because it was only one part of the track really where the uh, hairpin is that, um it was really wet, so in the end, they, the guys who switched over to the inter tyres after the safety car came back in, had to switch back to the dry tyres, because it, the track dried out, and then Pierre Gasly, he was on wet tyres in that period, so don't know what was going on there with Toro Rosso, so in the end, those guys sort of lost out, and the benefactors were for the Force India guys, Marcus Ericsson, Brendan Hartley, um, they got up, There, Whilst the Haas cars, it was only Roman Grosjean who stayed in the points because he made that incredible comeback from 10th to 6th um, after the safety car and after the rain. But for Kevin Magnussen, unfortunately, there was no points there despite both Haas cars starting in the top 10. And um, for Hartley, I guess it was a last gasp uh, result because he got displaced by Carlos Sainz in that 10th position but Science got pinged for overtaking under the safety car so he got a 10 second penalty and in the end that point was to be Brendan Hartley's his second only point in Formula One.
1: All got a bit complicated at the end there but it was good to see some of those guys who haven't had a great uh, run being overshadowed by teammates at least um, making the most of those opportunities, and uh, probably you you can see that further towards the the top, some of them just took a a punt, and if it came off, that was great, and if not, then so be it. It was probably a bit of a lower-risk scenario, and um, you can see that ultimately that the man who won the race he, he's the one who capitalized to full effect and and the other ones are probably just ruining i don't know uh you could call it um convention making that late pit stop as much as they might have needed it who knows if their uh, existing set of rubber could have held on in those um, very changeable conditions
0: yeah so if it wasn't for that then you know the I guess even the results in the midfield would have been much different, but I guess for Renault and for Haas, they still got solid points, Snicker Hulkenberg at home, he was fifth, Roman Grosjean sixth, and then of course um, the guys coming in for the minor points, Marcus Ericsson, the Force seniors, and uh, Brendan Hartley, so good result for them all in the end, but um, overall you could say, yeah, just championship-defining race, because Sebastian Vettel was leading by eight points coming into this race, and now he trails by seventeen points uh, going into Hungary this weekend. So, it's it's pretty it's a seismic shift, you could say. And just the way this championship's gone this year, it's just so. One minute it's in one person's favour, the next it's in the others. And I don't think anyone's won back-to-back races yet this season either. Apart from Vettel
1: for the first two.
0: Apart from Vettel from the first two, I, I keep forgetting. It feels like a long time ago now. So since then, yeah, we haven't seen um, anyone go on a run just yet. So, yeah, what's going to happen come hungry Because we certainly thought Vettel was going to go back-to-back with Silverstone and... Germany but uh, yeah not to be so what's going to happen in Hungary this time and of course the Constructors Championship too. now Mercedes have retaken the lead there by 8 points over Ferrari so at least it's still tight in that respect there and Ferrari still have plenty of time to to claw it back
1: Oh it would have been a huge dagger in the heart for Mercedes and Hamilton specifically had Vettel Triumph but it really puts the onus back on him to, to get it over the line at Hungary if not at least finish ahead of Mercedes, who knows where Red Bull might come into the equation there, but we do know, looking at last year, that's where the wheels fell off after the the summer break. So this is one where really, um, I guess, the flow, the way it's been going, it's alternated each each race. So Ferrari can't miss a beat um, before the, the little uh, siesta.
0: Yeah, exactly. So drivers of the day then, um, i got to say, Roman Grosjean, I wouldn't have thought that I'd be saying Grosjean, at all this year as driver of the day but yeah he put in a solid effort for Haas and to for him to score the team's only points as well quite significant and I guess he even came out after the race and said that if it wasn't for Hamilton what he achieved um his little run from 10th to 6th in the final few laps of the race got ignored because of Hamilton in the race. So, yeah, just to bring that to light then, you know, that was a, a good job from Grosjean there. They I thought Haas was stuffed when they pitted under the safety car and went on the wrong tyres. But, yeah, for Grosjean to then come back and finish where he did, it was pretty good in the end. And, yeah, good for him to score those points, even though we think it's likely that, yeah, this will probably be his last season in the Haas car. Oh,
1: at least he's giving himself some options if uh, the the shake-up does come with all these wild hypotheses doing the rounds uh, since last week, and it sounds as though we're going to have a pretty juicy, silly season, but I guess on on my end, as much as I hate to say it, it is hard to look past Hamilton, who probably was lucky to win, but as it was, he might have jagged a third place. It was a pretty good effort uh, around a track which isn't the easiest to, to do those overtakes, so... He probably um, was a standout, but it still doesn't change the fact a uh, of pill for everyone to swallow. Just the way that uh, it went from being Vettel, and that nevertheless having Bottas or Raikkonen take advantage to, yeah, the man himself and, and who would have thought? Just coupled with those theatrics, uh, um, I don't know. This wasn't wasn't it a good look as far as um, just thinking someone who's humble in that the sense that I'd oh, have seen that they've really been lucky on this occasion. It was almost like rubbing it in everyone's face.
0: Yeah, well, Jacques Villeneuve pretty much nailed it on the head with his comments after the race anyway, but um, we'll touch on that another time. Let's go straight into the digest as well, and we'll start it off with uh, Sergio Marchionne, uh, of course, and, um, yeah, really sad news about Marchione He only took over the... Uh, top job at Ferrari in 2014 of course when Luca Montezemolo was stood down of course and in the time that he was in charge of Ferrari I guess we've got to praise the fact that you know he's basically he's turned them around you know it may have been a bit dicey in 2015 2016 when they were winless of course and then last year they finally were in that position where they could challenge for the championship and then this year really um whatever happens if Ferrari can win the championship or not um you know it's all to do with how Marchione basically with his relentless and unyielding way was able to pick the team he wanted put Maurizio Iverbeni in there then when James Allison moved on he promoted Matteo Binotto and just really galvanized this team uh, to not be the Ferrari of old who showboated and in public they've been really we talked about this a couple of weeks ago how even in pre-season they're so quiet about how they do things and just let their results do the talking so I think you know for that, he's got to be hailed, um, uh, it's, his tenure's got to be hailed as a success, even though, unfortunately, it was tragically cut short.
1: Yeah, very combative from the outset, and you can see he was happy to, to make that generational change, and I think that's a trap Ferrari can't fall into now with the the, the next leadership group there. Uh, they don't stagnate and, and just pretend that it's it's all about, I guess, purely honouring him in this season they still need to look towards that future and see that trajectory he's placed them on that shouldn't be disrupted and a lot of that talk now coming back to uh, that second seat at Ferrari and whether that means that Kimi Raikkonen will now be retained when Mark Ione was said to be a, a staunch supporter of Charles Leclerc so if, if it comes to pass that there is no change there you, you would hope that that's only a a short-term, I guess, stay of execution. And um, Ferrari, I think, would, from Marchioni's perspective, he would be happier to see them continue you know, on this um, path that he's set them on. And they've really exceeded all of those expectations to... To where they were when he did enter and it was diabolical talk going around that uh, really they were irrelevant and now suddenly they're the class of the field save for some strategic blunders again i guess that's the only thing stopping them from looking completely dominant
0: yeah well there you go class of the field they've got the best car of course on track now as well but um apart from ferrari on track and everything, he, Marchione was a strong political figure too, and I guess that alliance that he formed with Mercedes-Benz too, of in recent times, to try and oppose the new Formula One management over the 2021 regulations, trying to keep Formula One about being a manufacturer's sport, as opposed to simplifying the regulations to... Get new people involved and to to simplify it for fans. So you know he was a staunch supporter of that, of course. And I guess another little achievement of his was bringing Alfa Romeo back into Formula One too. His little vision of having Alfa Romeo as a full factory team as well in the future. Hopefully that can still come to fruition. But then outside of Formula One, you look at uh, the Fiat Chrysler partnership and how he basically rescued. Chrysler um, who were pretty much sitting dead there in the United States as an automaker so the Fiat Chrysler deal that happened in 2014 as well which I'm sure a lot of people um, in the automotive industry and of course in US finance and business and all that sort of mumbo-jumbo they would be praising him for, for that and what he offered them in that respect whilst we can sit back and marvel at his achievements on the racetrack and in Formula One. Yeah, I
1: think it's hard to go past the probably people who uh, centric just to Formula One don't realise that greater influence he had on the automotive industry for for decades, and you'll go down as one of the at least of the 21st century the major player in in the way that that field has moved. So it, I guess it transcends Formula One. So he will be a big absence, and time will tell whether again. Uh, what he's put in place can be continued rather than just uh, carved up.
0: Yeah, exactly. It'll be telling on both scenes what will happen. So staying in the United States anyway, uh, we had news earlier in the week that the Miami Grand Prix has been postponed. So uh, Liberty Media looking not to rush it in before 2020, which I think is a positive thing, despite all the negative press that it was getting about the fact that, oh, you know, it's to do with their incompetence and yada, yada, yada. I think it's a, a good thing that rather than rushing it in for next year and not having it at its best or whatever the best it can be you know we can wait for it for another year they still haven't fully finalized the track layout too with those council permits and all that so all that sort of stuff so yeah i'm sure that they would be happy to sit it out for next year because from what we gather miami seems to be what Liberty hoped to be their centerpiece event not that Monaco isn't but like for Liberty Media's Formula One Miami's like the the start of a new era for them that you know this is the first event that they've sort of nurtured and um, brought up themselves and yeah it's going to be sort of just covered in what they're all about.
1: You can see just like they've taken that longer-term approach making their Presence Felt, they've introduced those uh, more immediate improvements, but for, for this one, when it comes to actual venues, they, they don't want to go in too soon and have a, have a failure where it's all been just rushed in for the, the sake of it. And the silver lining is there is a bit of talk around Hockenheim getting a, a reprieve there and potentially being on the calendar for consecutive seasons for the first time since 2000 and Six, so that would be quite something. And uh, based on what we saw last weekend, it would be a pretty nice outcome. But uh, if that doesn't happen anyway, the calendar will sit at twenty races, and I don't think too many people will complain that it won't be going upwards rather than stagnating at least for the immediate future.
0: Yeah, I guess what was telling with Hoggenheim was the fact that um, the grandstands were actually full this time. Like you compare it to pictures from 2016, and where they actually had to use sponsorship signing to. Uh, sort of fill the spaces where there wasn't people sitting in the grandstands so the fact that there were actually four grandstands goes to show you that Liberty have done a good job to market the race and advertise it to get those people back in and I guess with Max Verstappen you know his legion of fans go wherever um, across the world and certainly across Europe so they certainly take up a a fair portion of the grandstand size, so yeah, good for good outcome over the weekend as far as the attendance goes, so it'd be great to see if we get a regular German Grand Prix over the years, because yeah, you know, 7 Ferrari could certainly, even though it hasn't yet yielded those championships, it could still yet turn into that sort of Schumacher era where he was churning out championships year after year.
1: Yeah, they're starting to believe, again, the last probably decade it's been hit and miss, and, and that talk as well, that potentially Aston, if not Zanvoort, will come on board as the Dutch Grand Prix. That would that would be a, a logical candidate to do this, alternating with um, Hockenheim if it's not going to be Neubergering anytime time soon, and, and the more circuits in Europe. The better, I guess, in balance with these new Far Eastern ventures that the sport seems to be embracing.
0: Yeah, uh, going back to the Dutch thing, I'm probably not a big fan of the idea of Formula One going to Assen purely because of the MotoGP aspect, is because they'd have to then resurface the track to suit F1, and of course, you know, look at making some modifications too as far as runoff and all that is concerned. So, m- Assen is, you know, that special track, it's like the cathedral for uh, MotoGP, so best left alone, I think, but yeah, there's plenty of other venues that they could exploit in um, the Netherlands, whether they do a Uh, Rotterdam Street Race or whatever or as you say return to Zandvoort so yeah options are there but yeah Dutch Grand Prix would be great as well in the future so moving it on still and Force India could they go under this week that's the question we're going to ask for the next few weeks until something happens because yeah it's uh looking pretty diabolical, they're running out of money, the development is stagnated, and now talk of even the drivers perhaps looking to jump ship, so Esteban Ocon, could he be loaned off to to Renault by Mercedes-Benz of course, and then um, Sergio Perez, could he go to Haas as far as you know, silly season is concerned. So, yeah, not looking really good for Force India. And you were telling me earlier in the week that perhaps there might be the option that uh, Lance Stroll's looking to make the move along with his millions from his uh, father over to Force India. That could potentially save the team. But, yeah, VJ Mallier seems a bit stubborn about the price he wants to sell the team for still.
1: Yeah, it's reaching that crisis point, you could say. And then the, the rumours of Lawrence Stroll taking a majority investment that probably um i don't know would be a surprise if he ends up being the outright owner but uh, wouldn't be a surprise if he does have a significant stake in in bailing them out and then lance stroll i guess can really prove what he is worth if he if he gets a run there and and who knows who so he might form up alongside those fanciful rumors that might be himself and robert Kubitzer for one liking that mentoring role that they share it at Williams, and then who knows about those incumbents, their Ocon going back to his uh, earlier days as a, as a Renault junior before Mercedes acquired him. So it would be quite a logical step if he were to, to go to Renault and that would leave, a, um, I guess, Carlos Sainz high and dry and since he's probably not quite set the world on fire this season, so it's got a lot of implications wherever it does go and you just hope that the right guys aren't left off the grid, such as a Sergio Perez, who's really redeemed himself a bit this season, probably flew under the radar and that talk, whether it is a Haas or a Sauber or... Yeah, return to
0: Sauber now, just talked about as well for Sergio Perez. But going back to what you are saying before about, you know, the right people being... On the grid, Carlos Sainz is certainly another one of those drivers who, yeah, he hasn't set the world on fire in the Renault this season, but um, it would be a bit um, harsh if he found himself on the outer and whether, you know, because it looks like Daniel Ricciardo will stay at Red Bull now, does um, Sainz then... If he, of course, if Ocon doesn't, of course, come over to Renault, then it looks like perhaps he'll go to McLaren, maybe. I mean, Stoffel Van Dorn could be out and it could be the te- team Spaniard there with Alonso and Science Or if Alonso leaves, will it be uh, Science who replaces him Or and Van Dorn, whether he gets maintained it, for there's another there's season? A bit or? of talk
1: about Van Dorn. He could yet surface at Williams.
0: Van Dorn to Williams, I've also heard Van Dorn to Sauber with the links with Frederick Masseur there still. So, you know, it's all up in the air, as you that'd, said. That'd and be we'd a love promotion be. for him, I reckon. <laughs> could that'd be. That'd be a good move. Could, could be. So, you know, we'll talk about the silly season anyway after uh, during the mid-season break where we can really sink our teeth into it and all the the fancy, uh, I guess, all the fantasies that we have about where people are going to end up could, could happen. You know, could Pastor Maldonado come back? Could Esteban Gutierrez end up at one of mercedes's uh, affiliated teams because he'll end up he'll end up
1: having the capital if no one else to buy out force india at this rate oh he
0: could do or if he uh, he could end up at williams if uh, mercedes acquire them as a junior team so there you go give him another chance and see how many points he scores anyway let's move it on we'll talk supercars now and we had if switch on over the weekend um with the two races there for the super sprint and, um, starting off with seventh heaven for Scott McLaughlin, of course, seventh win in 2018 on the Saturday race. He was dominant, um, typically from pole position and yeah, already at this point of the season, he's one win away from equaling his tally of wins from 2017. So, It just shows you how dominant he's been this season and how consistent where last year there was those days where he and the team would find themselves in um, losing points because they were just not good enough on the day this year on those days where they're not good enough he still comes home to finish second or third or as best as he can as far as damage limitation is concerned so it's a big step up from 2017.
1: Sadly I didn't catch much of the action's certainly not live over the weekend, but from from those highlight snippets, you could see it was very much a, a battle again between Scott McLaughlin and Shane Van Gisbergen, and, and as much as um, his countrymen got that victory on the the second day, you can see that McLaughlin was right there keeping him honest the whole way, and, and just showing that he's playing that... That longer game, and uh, really, it's hard to see unless he has an absolute diabolical weekend and come to the enduro time. He's just got to collect those points and just make sure that it's all on Triple Eight to be absolutely perfect as we enter really um, that fast approaching September October block.
0: Yeah, well, um, crucial races, and even the next race there in Sydney, the night race is a big race too because it's one race worth 300 points so the same it has the same value as a Bathurst 1000 or the Sandown 500 so even that's going to be a, a pretty key race for the championship and you were saying Shane van Gisbergen and of course um, Locked Horns there with Scotty his countryman and of course it was again van Gisbergen flying the flag for the Red Bull Team, He had a pair of fast starts, you know, uh, second on Sunday and then he won the race, he had a good start to take the lead from Scotty and then on Saturday he qualified 8th and got to 3rd as uh, early as turn 4, so great job from Van Gisberg and I guess... It was 131 points the deficit coming into the weekend, and the deficit is still the same coming out of the weekend with the results. So yeah, Van Gisbergen certainly up there, but Jamie Wincup uh, he's fallen back a little bit over the past few weekends.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear as it stands that Van Gisbergen's got that momentum within the Triple Eight camp, and uh, for for Cup, who knows if there'll be that talk alongside Craig Lowndes' impending departure, whether he's his days as the leading charge is, is over and, and you can see that they're looking perhaps to the, the future Van Gisbergen and still being under 30 it's hard to believe he's been around for so long but he's got plenty of mileage in the tank and I guess they'll be trying to put their efforts behind um, the Kiwi there if he's their best chance because the way it's going with the yeah, A, Fabian Coulthard's not really anywhere in that picture so they're all going to have their, their money on McLaughlin
0: yeah so i guess if it had to come down to those two for the championship it would be pretty cool to see the two kiwis face off with each other of course van gisbergen with the championship already under his belt from 2016 so um it was a good weekend for chas mostard and tickford on the whole i guess you could say they broke their podium drought certainly on mostard's side of the garage of course he finished third in the sunday race but uh, on Saturday he was really quick too but he had that post-qualifying penalty for impeding Van Gisberg and that put him back in the field otherwise he was he qualified second and he could have easily had a shot at the win, perhaps so I guess positive signs from the camp but still it's, it's a long way to go for them Richie Stanaway probably had his best weekend as well um this year finishing 10th i think it was in one of the races so a bit of progress there but yeah they're going to have to look at unlocking the secrets of the the mostard car across the rest of the cars
1: and a bit of talk during the rounds that if it's not going to be simona de salvestro then it could be that roland dane's very closely analyzing chas mostard for that vacant seat um when craig lowndes um Takes his um, scales back his commitments to the Enduro Cup, so that would be fascinating. That uh, divide between manufacturers tied in with the uh, Mustang coming onto the scene. It would be quite a tough call since Mostert's probably seen as the the great hope for for Prodrive moving forward. But he's got a fair bit to. To think about when he when i guess Chickford does get it right he seems to be the one delivering those results
0: yeah well i guess when the question was put to him over the weekend he was pretty he just pretty much ignored the question altogether so yeah perhaps there is a bit of discussion there about his future i personally think he'll stay at tickford being of course the ford faithful
1: my my long term bet is 2020 he could surface at djr tp
0: you know stay within the ford umbrella but go over back to djr team penske so perhaps um yeah you know for the short term of course as you said as well mustang coming on board next year that's a, a seismic shift for the ford team so it's about being in the right place at the right time and, of course, uh, if it, it all goes well for Ford and with the Mustang, perhaps staying at Tickford will be the right thing for, for Chas Mostert.
1: Yeah, you'd say you'd give it at least one more year. He's got that contract and you couldn't blame him if he's still languishing with an underdeveloped car that that carrot, if it's there for, say, a Jamie Winkup, wants to scale back his own commitments then if the, the call came then you couldn't blame him people have done it in the past and you think they're rusted on holden or or ford drivers so it's not without precedent so you'd think at least if he gives it 2090 to see if Prodrive gets its act together in that collaboration with djrtp under that mustang banner
0: Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, Speaking of rusted-on drivers, uh, we had the co-driver session on Friday for the uh, co-drivers to have a little bit of a uh, trial of their cars ahead of the Enduro Cup, and of course, Nissan on top there with Gary Jacobson and Dean Fiore, but Going back to what you were saying about rusted on drivers, we had Russell Ingle make a comeback in the triple uh, eight car. So, how many different he's driven for practically all the manufacturers now, um, having been Rick Kelly's he's,
1: he's the paddock hooker, as you might say, in terms of a, a parlance from our, our favorite F1 journalist. He yeah, likes so to get himself out there,
0: get himself out there. So, because Bamba was over there in the U.S. doing his IMSA rounds, uh, uh, no one was able to pilot that 97 car so russell ingall got in there i think he was 14 fastest which is pretty good but yeah it was gary jacobson and dean fiore who top the sessions they're partnering of course Rick Kelly and Michael Caruso so positive signs from Nissan though but yeah just whenever you see the co-drivers in the car you get that sense that yep we're getting close to that time of the year the enduro time which is probably the best time of the year for the supercars championship so plenty to look forward to and yeah it's only i think two more rounds and then of course uh, stand down will be upon us in September yeah it really
1: gets to that point where They've got to really um, nail the last few regular rounds and just make sure that they've got some momentum, something to work with into the Enduro Cup rather than coming off a very low base. And you can just see, like, uh, Scott McLaughlin, he's done everything right so far, so you'll um, probably be wary. He wants to continue that through till till then, but... the, the uh, co-drivers they need all the experience they can get so they don't go and butcher the the main drivers chances
0: yeah especially with the championship being as close as it is at the moment it's going to be a crucial time of the year so we'll talk over supercars again next time let's uh, get into our hungarian grand prix preview now of course and um, yeah I guess the last gasp before the summer break is upon us and uh, after Germany this is going to be a key race because uh, we thought that Seb had it all done and dusted but you know now he's got all the work to do again to get those points back so this is a fortress that we're coming to of Lewis Hamilton he's had five wins here but Seb's been pretty strong here too he's won two of the last three of course with Ferrari 2015 that uh, memorable race that that was a special race too which i'll touch on anyway a bit later and then of course last year where they ferrari had the one two with Kimi Räikkönen, and of course coming home second ferrari um, did
1: their best to lose that one as well
0: yeah they did their best as well in that um the potential for Kimi to win the race but instead for the championship it was given to seb so um yeah the Hungarian on the whole suits the ferrari it suited it for the last few years and Now that they've got the best car on the grid, this is one of their favourite circuits, there's no excuses for them not to win this weekend, unless, of course, something like Germany happens again, which they'd be hoping it doesn't. If
1: they drop this one, you'd almost argue that it's Mercedes title to lose just on momentum, Ferrari not taking those chances, and you'd hope if Vettel has another calamity that Kimi Räikkönen is finally in that position to, to inherit the... The victory, or dare we say, we can't dismiss again, Red Bull, the way they've shown that they're always waiting in the wings, and this is a circuit like maybe even an Austria where they're just lurking very much within um, within the or If something goes wrong for Ferrari or Mercedes, and I guess Daniel Ricciardo, as we mentioned before, he'll be wanting some redemption, and particularly as a strong circuit in his past. He came to blows last year as well with his teammates, so he's got a, a bit um, of time he wants to make up for there. But Ferrari, I guess, as we alluded to off the top, just that poignancy of wanting to to honour the godfather in Marchione, you think that'd be incentive enough just to be absolutely meticulous?
0: Yeah, well, it was special, as I said before, in 2015 when um, that was the first race after the news that Jules Bianchi had passed, of course, uh, the Ferrari junior driver. So Sebastian Vettel dedicated his victory to him that day. Could it happen again this weekend and dedicate the victory to Marcioni, of course? And, uh, you know, if it happened back in 1988, as I brought up um, in my article, that. Um, after the passing of Enzo Ferrari himself. um, The season pretty much was wrapped up by McLaren, but the one race that Ferrari did win was the race after... Enzo's death and it was uh, the Monza Grand Prix in 88 with Gerhard Berger leading Michele so, Alboreto so
1: so maybe this time we hope the Mercedes are out front and they trip over a back marker and uh, a similar or fashion a K- they fall or into Kimi, the lap or
0: as Kimi calls a flapper or <laughs> whatever
1: <laughs> mm, the harses. it was was a Haas last time when Hamilton was there with Gutierrez so maybe it'll be appropriate if it's a Haas again even though they're they're much more on the ball at the moment yeah well,
0: We need another Gutierrez, don't we, in that respect? But yeah, it would be a significant win for Ferrari, of course, with what's happened. Um, And of course, it'll springboard them towards that championship. Um, But going back to Red Bull, of course, Daniel Ricciardo had the win here in 2014. And it's a circuit that has more focus on the chassis and less on the power. So it'll expose those deficits on the chassis side, but Red Bull have had the strong chassis they won there in Austria even though it was a power circuit so shouldn't they be even more closer this time round? you'd think
1: absolutely you'd expect them to be uh, if not perhaps second then challenging for for outright fastest across the weekend and it will be on Ferrari in that case to make sure they're at least ahead of Lewis Hamilton, for one, when it comes to um, accruing those points lost last weekend. And and for, for Red Bull, they're probably one of the last opportunities to get a victory on merit this season. And I guess it's also worth noting, perhaps this is a rare chance for McLaren to show what they've got with um, the deficiencies which have come to light this season with its own sh- uh, chassis. If it can't execute here, then uh, <laughs> it really puts a, a punctuation across the... Uh, the year where so many expectations were, were on the table entering it and it's just gone completely downhill.
0: Well, typically this has been one of their strongest circuits. They've actually won the most races here in Hungary, uh, thanks in part to Lewis Hamilton, but also, you know, Jensen Button and co over the years. So, and let's not forget Heike Kovalainen won his race Mm. one and only Grand Prix here as well he was welcomed into the world of winning in Hungary so yeah it's a a circuit where they could certainly score some good points as well but um, yeah weather causes chaos too as we saw in 2014 so anything's possible if we get some rain then yeah there's already a bit
1: of an extended forecast that there will be implement weather so it could yet be a repeat there
0: there we go let's not uh, go to the bookies just yet (laughs) with our predictions so um, and of course we see some aggressive tyre choices too from Ferrari and from Sebastian Vettel favouring those ultra soft tyres and uh, Hungary has been a bit of a tyre killer in the past but you know considering how much durable the rubber's been this year you'd think that a one-stop race would still come to pass and um, yeah th- those teams that are lighter on their tyres will be better off.
1: Unless we get someone with another penalty and they go on that contra strategy you can see they'll be Running long probably pit around what is it seventy laps, lap lap twenty to twenty five and then running the balance of the race on their second set.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be a, a big weekend overall, and yeah, hopefully one to remember, of course, for the Ferrari camp, just for uh, Sergio Marchioni and everything. So let's wrap things up quickly with the sporting moments of the week, and f- what stood out this week, I guess, or over the past week, was um, Billy Munger back into racing, of course. We've seen Daniel Ricciardo do the shui. But uh, Billy Munger, of course, uh, has invented the leggy. So, using one of his leg prosthetics as a vessel for champagne on the podium, which I thought was absolutely great. You know, of course, everyone knows the story of Billy Munger, of course, becoming a double amputee after that horrific crash um, that he had last year and now that he's back into to racing as well and racing open wheel cars again you know it's really good to see and yeah to be on the podium and to celebrate in that fashion it was really it was a really good story
1: yeah great sense of humor there and you can just hope liberty doesn't take steps to trademark that that would be a fallacy you can see that he he's getting right behind the craze i guess that you could say Daniel Ricciardo brought it to a popular light, but it did have its genesis more in the lower categories and then into supercars. So it's come a long way, and it's just good to see that lighter side of of racing and his own circumstances that you can see the funny side of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, and what stood out for you then this week? Uh, we're going to the two wheels,
1: not not my OGP, but Tour de France. That's been going on quietly for the last few weeks, and you could say that not without a few. Hair raising moments, but on uh, Tuesday night we had Philip Gilbert taking it very quickly on the the descents um, on really one of the very mountainous stages, one of many you could say this year. It's been pretty uh, chaotic and he, he ended up going in too hot, ran into a, a wall at pretty good speed and he went headfirst over into a, what you could call a, a ravine. And <laughs> you don't know how far that drop is. It could have been 20 metres, it could have been 50, but there was a lot of bated breath whilst the, the, the pictures... Uh, I guess waited to, to reveal the extent of it, but it was quite miraculous that within a few minutes he was resurfaced, and not only was he um, physically sound, not needing to be carted away in an ambulance, he was back on his bike, and he concluded this stage 60k to go and um, really maintained his, his lead he had at that time. He was very competitive overall, and you find out after the stage that he had broken his kneecap so so that that put paid to anything continuing but just the fact that he was able to ride on probably on massive adrenaline but it shows they're made of something different and it takes them to a new level at this uh, event and a nicer story after some of the ugliest scenes we've seen with capsicum spray and (laughs) union protests going on the farm countryside there it's been a little bit um, spiteful you could say
0: yeah so a nice story to come out of there at least um, and hopefully he does recover well and good on him for soldiering (laughs) on through through the rest of that stage where anyone else probably would have given up so yeah i guess that wraps it up for this week then a, a lot discussed of course and uh, we'll be back next week to ram- round out um hungary and then of course um take a little bit of a break recharge talk about the mid-season and uh silly season and yeah we'll see you guys next week so cat- until then
1: till then